Welcome to Coping with COVID-19, an editorially independent program from the editors of Modern Aesthetics Magazine and Practical Dermatology Magazine. In this episode, Dr. Steve Diane, Davu Banusali, and Emerson Wickwire join Julian Bridget Cohen in the discussion about wellness, dietary supplements, nutrition, and sleep. Today we're going to talk about wellness and self-care, clearly something that involves all of us and I'm sure we're all looking at our own wellness and self-care much differently since we've been in lockdown. And as we start to emerge out of lockdown, will we continue with some of these habits? So I wanna start out today by talking a little bit about myself real quickly, because I am not someone who tends to be a nutritionist, nor someone who eats incredibly well, nor someone who takes vitamins, but I will tell you that I'm now taking quercetin, I'm taking vitamin C, I'm taking NAC, and I'm taking zinc. Should I be taking these things? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? I don't know, but I've been reading all the blogs. I've been following along and I've been taking them because they say they're supposed to be good. They're supposed to be helpful. So I'm not really certain, but I thought I would bring on these experts and get their opinions because I think they know a lot more about it than I do. So Jillian, welcome. And I want to start out with you first because you do have some nutritional expertise. Can you tell me, am I foolish by taking some of these nutritional supplements? So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Virtual Health Partners, and we focus obviously on live virtual nutrition, lifestyle modification, and fitness. And I would tell you that anything that makes you feel better and that you're performing self-care for yourself right now during this really trying time and bringing some sense of normalcy, if you think it's going to help you, that you should be doing. Okay. So Deval, do you have any insight onto whether or not NAC has any benefit or zinc or quercetin? So it's interesting, you know, as a doctor, science first always, the, it's hard because, you know, right now it's a little bit more of an interesting time because we don't know what we don't know. Um, traditionally, I'd say no, you just don't need to take any of that stuff. But given that, you know, we've seen some of the medications that we think we need don't work and some that we didn't think work are now working, I think it's reasonable to try different alternatives as long as they're safe and not doing any harm. Um, but as the, as the jury kind of is still out on this thing, I think it's very important to kind of keep track of the not just blogs but I guess the scientific blogs that and kind of talk to the experts who are doing this in the specific fields that it might be a little bit more uh, helpful for. So I've been following a fair amount of blogs and in particular there's one called MedCram. I'm not sure if any of you follow it but I tend to like it a lot and they were touting some of the benefits and even citing some of the papers that have shown evidence that some of these products these nutritional supplements and these vitamins may be helpful, vitamin C in high doses, I understand in the hospital, some patients who are actually on ventilators are getting high dose of IV vitamin C. So it made sense to me, zinc is shown to uh, reduce viral replication if it can get into the cell, and uh, we know that it's difficult for zinc to get into the cell if you take it orally, but however, in combination with hydroxychloroquine, perhaps it gets into the cell. So I'm not a nutritionist by any, st any stretch of the means, but it does seem to me that there's some benefit to this, and like you said, Deval, if it's not hurting me, then why not take some of it? Obviously, I don't want to overdo on any of these nutritional supplements, but I did order it, I have to say, and I've been giving it to my children as well, hoping that maybe provides some, some relief. You know, I think it's important to think about basic wound care from plastic surgery and dermatology training, right? You use a lot of heavy metals to kill bacteria. If you think of silver, silvadine, old school products. So things like zinc make a lot of sense to help your body in general. But I think some of those studies are still being determined because they were really throwing anything that they could at the patients, uh, you know, to try anything that would potentially work. And I don't think they've really determined what did help. Well, zinc has got evidence is working, reducing viral replication in rhinovirus and coronavirus and other studies. 
but those were, it was given um, intracellular. So, uh, I, I don't know if that's the same thing when you take oral, oral zinc. Um, and uh, NAC is a glutathione reduction agent. So it works as an antioxidant and it helps the liver function. I know it's used in patients who have Tylenol overdose. So perhaps there's some evidence there that it helps as an antioxidant in, in this situation, especially when we're having all of this difficulty with this disease that we're learning a lot more about now. It's not necessarily a respiratory disease, but perhaps in fact, it's a vascular disease by causing, um, by causing damage to the intima of the endothelium and allowing for von Willebrand's factor in addition to factor eight to clot and cause microvascular embolus. And that is something that's unique that we didn't really know about two weeks ago. And now we're starting to learn about that now. I, I want to stretch along here to Dr. Whitwire because I will tell you, I am not a sleeper and I tend to sleep four to five hours a night. I sleep horribly. And it's been something that uh, I've dealt with for most of my life. And I just kind of thought that was normal, but I am finding myself sleeping a lot more. And there's evidence that sleep can help to reduce viral replication. I'm not sure if you're uh, aware of that of that literature, Dr. Bickwire, but if you are, I'd be really interested to get your input in the benefits of sleep. First, I'd like to comment, Steve, thanks for the question, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm Emerson Wickwire. I'm a biobehaviorally trained clinical psychologist and sleep disorders expert, and I direct the insomnia program at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Um, first thing I wanna do is comment on your uh, supplement uh, question. The most important, um, non-traditional thing that we can be doing is washing our hands uh, in terms of COVID prevention. Uh, I liked um, what Jillian had to say about the importance of self-care right now, and hopefully we'll have a chance uh, to talk about that more. Uh, but Dr. Busanali, I think, hit the nail on the head. Um, the benefits of over-the-counter supplements that are unregulated, and we don't really even know what we're taking most of the time, because those are not regulated by the FDA, uh, I'm, um, I want to be very cautious about it. Well, they're not regulated to the same extent. They, are, they have to prove some uh, safety, not necessarily efficacy. Right. So, well, they, no, they actually, they, they don't have to prove the contents. Um, so if you buy uh, melatonin that's, for example, pharmaceutical grade or not pharmaceutical grade, those are very different products. And there have been multiple studies, at least in the sleep space, showing that supplements don't include um, what the label says they include. That's not monitored to the same degree of scrutiny. So I just want to be very cautious about um, sort of advocating over-the-counter uh, remedies as a, uh, as a medical solution. Um, and, and I strongly agree with, with science first. That being said, you know, there's a self-care component and, and, and that's important too. Uh, you asked about sleep and if you're alive on planet Earth these days, uh, you are breathing in a different degree of stress and perhaps even anxiousness. Uh, stress is incompatible with sleep. And so people are having more trouble sleeping than they have been in the past. So is it true that a certain amount of hours of sleep is necessary? And uh, does it vary based on the individual? And is there a measure of immunoprotection if we sleep more? The basal sleep need is uh, remarkably consistent uh, throughout, throughout our species. Uh, within the past five years, each of the leading uh, professional societies in sleep medicine, sleep research, and sleep advocacy all have published consensus guidelines uh, looking at the recommended 
sleep duration for adults, uh, and some have also expanded into other age categories. Um, roughly uh, seven to eight hours of sleep is required for optimal health. And although there are uh, a very small number of people who are short sleepers or long sleepers, the problem, of course, Steve, is that everyone thinks they're that one four standard deviation outlier uh, who really only needs uh, five or five and a half hours of sleep. And it's just not the case. I found myself sleeping a lot more during this COVID crisis than I ever have in the past. I have to say, I feel a lot better. It's, uh, uh, I'll tell you, I did another webinar on this topic earlier today, and I mentioned uh, two studies that were both performed about 20 years ago. And in these studies, they ran up, these were very tightly controlled, intensive, difficult to administer research studies, where they randomized volunteers to uh, essentially four, six, or eight hours of sleep for uh, one to two weeks consecutively. And each day, they put them through a battery of neuropsychological and physiological tests. And what happened is that each day, patients got more and more sleepy when sleep was objectively measured um, uh, over time. So in other words, on day two, the people who are getting six hours are sleepier than the people who are getting eight hours, and the people who are getting four hours are sleepier than the people who are getting six hours. And those trends continued throughout the duration of the study. So uh, at the same time that people are becoming more sleepy, we time how long it takes them to fall asleep during naps, and they're getting sleepier and sleepier, their self-reported sleepiness did not change. Humans are very, very poor estimators of their sleep-related impairment. So everyone uh, uh, these days, or many people these days, uh, is walking around with a degree of sleep debt and sleep-related impairment and in total denial because they can't tell themselves. Can you make any comments or any, give us any insight into whether or not sleeping more helps us to protect us against um, viruses or other types of infectious diseases? So, uh, sure, I'd be happy to. It's a great question, um, and I appreciate your raising it. Um, sleep uh, loss prior to vaccination reduces the effectiveness of vaccination. Uh, in fact, sleep loss increases susceptibility to the viral common cold, for example. So, um, it's something that I haven't seen discussed anywhere else prior to this webinar in terms of the mainstream media, uh, but this is a, it's a big deal. We're talking about needing to vaccinate globally in a way that's going to reduce coronavirus risk. Um, it is absolutely um, plausible that uh, the degree of sleep loss prior to vaccination will influence uh, the effectiveness uh, of those vaccines. Interesting. Well, Jillian, I have a question for you, and maybe you could help me to figure this out because I struggle to sleep, and I have a little curious habit that I get up in the middle of the night and I eat dark chocolate. For whatever reason, it helps me fall back asleep. And maybe that's just behavioral, but it always seems to work for me. Any insight into the way we eat, the time we eat, and sleep, from your opinion? You know, so I think that has your habit changed since COVID? No, that's always been the same, but I am sleeping a lot better. I think it's because I'm still I getting up. Pardon me? Are you still getting up to eat dark chocolate? Well, not as much. <laughs> not as much. Because what I think we've all seen is that normal routines have broken throughout COVID-19. So whatever your old normalcy was, you have to adapt to a new normalcy. But there's something probably about that dark chocolate that gives you some sort of comfort. 
and is able to help relax your mind, whether it's a taste or a craving that you're having to fulfill. So you probably need to work on breaking the craving uh, to be able to, but why break it, right? So if it's something that makes you happy, and you know, I'm a huge believer as our entire company, and I know our uh, head of a registered dietitian head of clinical Rachel Daniels she wanted to be here today but she actually is in labor so yes uh, but she would also tell you the same thing that everything in moderation she is one of the biggest chocolate and sweet lovers that you have ever met and I think it's really important to do things that make yourself feel good not just during COVID-19 but it's really about the balance right of having healthy foods in combination with those foods we shouldn't have but I guess you do like antioxidants a lot because dark chocolate does have some merit there too there you go so Deval how about you has your routine and habits change with your sleep and your nutrition during this COVID period of time? So yes and no. I think initially it did, I think for all of us, because there's this weird kind of anxiety of not knowing what's going on and, and everything is kind of in flux, whether it's our offices, whether it's our families, all these different things. I found for the first week or two, I was just kind of off, right? Like everything, my sleep, I was more vividly dreaming. I don't usually dream much that I remember. Um, and I was, I, it, my sleep was actually a little bit more impaired. Um, but my ability to find back my normalcy actually started with going back to structure. So I usually get up at 5 or 5.30 and go to the gym every morning. All our gyms are closed, so I would just do either um, a run early or I would do some, you know, a cycle in my, my apartment or whatever it was. Um, I started eating similarly to what I ate before. And I, and I would, uh, I'm in my office now. My office is closed, but I would come to my office and do a little bit of work and kind of rebuilding that structure, kind of reset everything for me. And then I noticed my sleep started getting a little bit better. I think my mood started getting a little bit better. Uh, I think everything started falling back into place. Kind of what you guys touched on before, adjusting to the new normal. It's not exactly how we had it, obviously, but at least finding those comfort points and kind of resetting a little bit, I think did play a big part on, on kind of all of the above. So Dr. Wickwire, how important is exercise to good sleep? Very important for two reasons. The first is, particularly during COVID, exercise is a very practical stress reliever. And as we mentioned earlier, you can't be stressed and asleep at the same time. Uh, the second reason is that regularly timed exercise, with, uh, Dr., which Dr. Punasali just uh, advocated, um, is a wonderful what's called zeitgeber or time giver. In other words, this helps entrain our body's natural circadian rhythm. Um, you asked about uh, exercise and uh, obviously diet and nutrition have come up, social engagement. The more that we can maintain those activities at, at regular intervals, it gives our, our internal body clock guide rails and helps keep, to, keep us on track. So our platform collects a lot of data, and I can tell you that uh, pre-COVID to COVID, uh, the number of steps nationwide and also with our users in the Middle East and in Europe have been down 71%. So what you're really seeing is that I think people have, to the point of what everyone's saying, started to get exercise back, but those normal steps that you take either from your car to the shopping center, inside the shopping center, around to get food, now you might run an errand, but it's one errand, right? You're not going about your normal day. And so that activity alone is going to have a tremendous effect on all of us. Yeah, clearly keeping up exercise in a routine, like I think Dr. Bonnesali was talking about, is critical during this time period of lockdown. But there's another thing I want to bring up with all three of you and get all your opinions on it, because I'm sure you've heard about it, but alcohol sales are through the roof. 
and a lot of people are drinking wine every night and having a beer or whatever it may be. They don't have to work the next day. What's the impact of this alcohol on their nutrition, on their health, on their psyche, and on their sleep? So, um, Jillian, do you want to take that question first? So I make sure that I go 48 hours to 72 hours a week without having wine. And I will tell you that it would never normally bother me, but during COVID every day seems like three days. And I think a lot of people are dealing with that. So I think first of all, you know, going back to the adage where, you know, having a glass of wine is okay. I think the amount of alcohol that people are drinking is going to become a problem that they're going to have to find outlets and other means such as fitness again. So I think that having people find things that they haven't you know, had the chance to do, like doing a puzzle, find concrete activities that can take your mind off of things instead of alcohol is going to become a big, big factor. Because I don't think we're going back to a normal lifestyle that we're all accustomed to anytime soon, even as things become starting to ease up, right? I think the next component that has to be taken into account is people starting to eat better. I think that people were, you know, just crunching down on pizza, chips, everything else, and that healthy foods and good choices, including not having high amounts of calories of alcohol, which is pure sugar, is has to become a factor because it affects your immune system so much, right? So I think that there has to be some press on that in the media to start educating people about how all of these things affect their immune system. Dr. Bonasali, what's your thoughts on alcohol consumption during this COVID period of time? So this is interesting. Um, so I'm actually doing a project with one of the larger tech companies out there. Uh, we actually, one of our partners is an NBA player and we were talking about how our body changes with alcohol, right? They're athletes, professional athletes, how they run, how they function as part of their job, right? With me, not so much, but as a physician who does lots of surgeries and lasers and all these things, they need to be kind of on point. So you start looking at how you sleep based on alcohol. What I personally found for myself, I have all these different trackers I use just to see which ones can show me what. If I have a glass of wine at 9 p.m., my heart rate tends to be about 10% higher or whatever it is throughout my sleep, right? What does that mean? I have no idea, right? But, you know, in my head, simple doctor thoughts are if my heart rate's elevated, I'm having a glass of wine, let's say every night for years and years and years, is, is it protective? Maybe, but also why is my heart working harder than it should be over a prolonged period of time? And what does that mean for the long-term viability of that heart muscle and things like that? Um, I think there's lots of benefits, but I think we're finding out more and more of what you do when you do it does make a difference in terms of how your body relaxes, how your body kind of kind of gets accustomed to eating late at night. Some people don't digest as well. They might have trouble sleeping. They might wake up not feeling as well. Um, if you eat a little bit early, people are doing intermittent fasting. All these different things are starting to play in. We never really look at the granularity of that kind of stuff. And I think now we're looking at, okay, what exactly am I eating and how do I feel the next day? How am I sleeping? What am I putting into my body? And what's the export of that? How do I feel? What's my mood? I know the NBA is looking at sleep with now they're scheduling all their games. I mean, pre-COVID, but they were trying to see how do we optimize the sleep patterns for players so they, A, their mood and function can be you know, optimal, B, also their performance. And I think, you know, for me, when it looks, when you look at alcohol, I just, I know for myself, again, my heart rate is elevated. I'm sure you guys have way more data than I do, but that's probably something that is universal. We'll not know now what that means, but maybe in 5, 10, 15 years after we start studying it a little bit further, maybe it's already been studied, but I do think there's something there that we have to at least be aware of, and whether, again, good or bad TBD, but, but more data is more knowledge, and more knowledge is always more power, so we, we'll, we'll keep eyes out. Dr. Wickwire, so what's the, what's the reason why the heart rate rises after a glass of wine? I feel it as well. I'm the same as Deval. So what, do you, what can you tell us? Uh, alcohol does two things to sleep. 
uh, in the short term, it helps you fall asleep faster. There's no question. And these days, a big reason why it's helping you fall asleep faster is likely because uh, it's an anxiolytic. Um, it, it, it blocks GABA and it works the same way in that regard as, as benzodiazepine medications, okay? So people are feeling stressed, uh, they drink, the stress goes down and the sleep can come up, all right? Because stress and sleep are mutually uh, incompatible. The second thing that um, alcohol does is after you fall asleep faster, uh, it alters your sleep architecture. So basically everything after the first uh, 30 minutes or 90 minutes at the most about your sleep for that evening um, goes down a hill. Now, one reason why your uh, heart rate uh, might be higher, and that's a wonderful observation, um, very consistent with what we know really from multiple decades of sleep science. Um, I'd be very curious if you snored on nights when you have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine um, uh, close to bedtime. Do you know? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah. So the reason is um, that alcohol decreases patency in the upper airway. And so what that means is, and I don't know if you have, if you normally snore or if you have obstructive sleep apnea, yeah. But see, uh, after you drink alcohol, um, alcohol can cause obstructive sleep apnea even in patients who don't normally have obstructive sleep apnea. So the upper airway begins to uh, collapse. Obstructive sleep apnea is a condition the most acute cause is there's not enough space in the upper airway for enough air to get through. So the tissues relax and you still, your brain still needs just as much oxygen as it did before. But now it's like trying to blow through a reed when you were a, a boy or a girl and you get that vibrating noise. That's what snoring is. So it's a, it's a, it's low grade chronic suffocation. Uh, and it is certainly possible that that is why your heart is having to work harder. So um, the recommendations that we provide to patients who are having trouble sleeping, but it's, this is uh, so-called general sleep hygiene, is you really want to give yourself a few hours before that glass of wine and when you actually hit the rack. Isn't there a direct uh, effect of the alcohol breakdown on the heart muscle itself? Yeah, this, um, I, I'm not an expert in that, but you're correct. Uh, um, there are a number of different um, sort of uh, uh, cardiometabolic uh, functions uh, of alcohol. One of them has to do, in terms of obstructive sleep apnea in particular, with secretion of what's called um, atrial diuretic hormone during obstructive sleep apnea. And uh, the very short version is that uh, if you think about the diaphragm continuing to expand, expand and contract, but now the upper airway is closed off, we have a vacuum in your thoracic cavity. So the um, diaphragm is contracting and expanding, but there's no air moving. So the, um, there are interthoracic pressure changes and the heart's getting stretched. Now, if the heart's retaining water, that's very, very dangerous because all of a sudden the heart can become enlarged and misshapen and so forth. So uh, your body, uh, which has evolved to be brilliant as it has, secretes a specific peptide that makes you pee. So it also wouldn't surprise me if people who have alcohol close to bedtime say that they have to wake up and go uh, uh, take a pee in the middle of the night. That's actually a protective mechanism uh, for your heart defending itself. So, Dr. Bonacelli, I, I recognize it more with red wine than clear liquids, clearly alcohols. I'm not sure if you, you do as well. 
but there's something in that red wine that really irritates me. I don't know what it is, and I love it too, but. Yeah. Do you feel the elevated heart rate too? Do you feel like you're working a little bit harder when you I wake get up? It really bad. It wakes me up. I mean, I'm going over 100 beats per minute, and it only happens with red wine. So I can't drink red wine anymore like I used to. So there's some effect of the red wine on me. I don't know what it is. It makes sense for hours. I'd like to believe it's tannins, but you know, every time I go somewhere else, the Italians tell me their wine is clean. Then the French tell me their wine is clean. Oh, and everyone's got a different reason why it is. I think it makes alcohol content, so I'm not sure. I'm not an expert here, but it's definitely affected my uh, sleeping habits. Drink, you could drink earlier in the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that won't go over too well. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe before I get out of lockdown. So um, let me answer the question. How about um, you, we're all coming and we're starting to emerge out of lockdown. I'm not sure where you're uh, You're in New York, Dr. Vanessa Ali, and Dr. Wickwire, you're in Maryland. Uh, Jillian, I'm not sure where you're located New at. New York as well. New York as well. So we're, New York's a little bit slower on the East Coast coming out of it. I'm on the West Coast right now and things are opening up here. Chicago, we're looking like in the next two weeks we're going to start opening up. What habits have you picked up during this time period that you think you'll continue on with? after COVID, um, after we emerge from COVID? You know, I think we all maybe probably feel this way, but the things that have become important in life um, are, are the simple things, right? Like, what do you think about it when you wake up? Your family, people, communication, hugs, like very simplistic pleasures in life that you miss most, right? And for me, like I have, my, I have older parents, so FaceTiming with them, or I have a little niece in Florida who I can't see right now, right? But I try to FaceTime with her every, every single morning. I think for me, I think it's a deep appreciation. I think all of us are busy. We have 8 billion meetings. We're giving talks. We're traveling, doing all this stuff. And I think now for me, it'll be a little bit more selective with time and prioritizing, um, I think, a little bit more of the personal stuff uh, that we sometimes escape from. And I think, you know, again, as physicians, we're used to giving our time away, right? We're used to just working, 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 working. But I think now um, with deep appreciation of all that can be lost so fast, I think the, the kind of moral of the story for me at least has been you know, like focus on that. That's important, right? You never know what tomorrow will bring. Give that person a hug. Don't shoot to get off the phone faster than you otherwise would. Like just take that extra step and, and do it the right way. And, and, you know, for me, again, maybe sometimes in life you need that, you need that like little wake up call. And, and for all of us, it's a different one for each, each person individually. But I think we all can kind of appreciate that need to, 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 to again, touch and, and communicate a little bit better. I would agree with the communication. I actually think I value, I've started calling people or FaceTiming people where you would normally text them because you know at some point you're going to see them in the near future. And I think that I'm having more meaningful conversations with people because it's just that eye contact that you're having on that FaceTime. There's no restaurant noise. There's no people watching, getting in the way, right, of when you're normally hanging out with your friends or family. And so I do think that it's a more meaningful type of communication that's now occurring and valuing that communication because we miss seeing people so much, right? So instead of, to your point as well, I think it's the taking a breath and valuing the relationship that you have with people because like yourself, I'm a road warrior. You know, I could probably reach 100,000 miles this year by June. And I all of a sudden am really enjoying the fact that I haven't packed a suitcase. The one thing that I will cannot wait to change is to stop having to work out in my bathroom at 530. 
because my husband's still sleeping and my daughter's sleeping, who's one. And I've now figured out how to do like a cardio kickboxing class in the bathroom. <laughs> Living in an apartment in New York is very interesting. I will not miss that. That's going back <laughs> into the drawer it came from. <laughs> Dr. McGuire? Uh, I really appreciate what the other panelists had to say regarding connection. Uh, I also have gravitated toward, have gravitated towards um, uh, simplifying in some ways and uh, pulled out the guitar, which I hadn't played in some time. And we got a puppy who just said hello uh, a second ago. Uh, so I have two very bright, very energetic. Uh, uh, I also have a six-year-old son. So I've sort of, uh, they've been keeping me on my toes. <laughs> and in some ways, uh, I'll really miss, uh, really miss being able to take my son for a walk in the middle of the day. Uh, of course, the cost is that I now work uh, very early and very very late to try and and and, and maintain some productivity, uh, but the connection for me is uh, is central. And I think for the viewers, the one question that I'd ask is, um, what is one thing that you'd like to carry forward? Uh, there's still time. We started online. Um, people may be interested in online cooking classes, for example, or online piano lessons, or what's something that you'd like to do now. Uh, the time is now and there's nothing stopping you. Yeah, certainly we'll never get a time like this again in our lives where you're forced to be in and to take on new skills. I do want to ask um, one last question as we wrap up here. And you know, we've, this, this seminar or this virtual program is about self-health uh, and wellness and what you're doing for yourselves and recommendations you'd have for other physicians and listeners. So I'd like each of you to kind of, if you can give me a tip on something that you're doing unique or different or something you'd recommend to people who are listening that they can do for themselves so they can protect themselves and they can really take better care of themselves. So why don't we start with you, Dr. Bandasali? Is there any recommendations you can give to people who are listening, something you're doing unique or different that they can take better care of themselves? I think it's a short-term, long-term just thought process. I think every night before I go to bed, you know, before I'd have 8 billion things I had to accomplish and checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. I think it's that self-reflection. Um, you have almost like a meditative state where you're like, okay, we did our best today. You know, what do I have in the docket? Okay, we'll figure it out. This is okay. But like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And oh, again, always kind of realigning what is your biggest priority in life. And for me now, it's actually changed where my first one, two, and three check boxes are, did I call mom and dad? Did I call my sister and their family? Did I take a few moments for myself to work out, do whatever? And then everything else comes. Because again, we'll never have a wake-up call like we did just now that nothing is guaranteed tomorrow. And, and again, if you don't, if you missed that email or you missed that meeting or you didn't pick up the phone, like it's okay. Like forgive yourself. It'll, there's always, you know, a potential to, re to rectify that, but you can't get back the personal moment. So just taking that moment, I think, to always reflect on, on those values and those core uh, beliefs. Appreciate the moments. I kind of like that. All right, Jillian, how about yourself? Uh, I think there's two parts to this answer. I think the first one is that I think everybody really needs to develop a self-care plan. I think Dr. Bonacelli was talking about finding, you know, a normalcy and a plan and mode. And I think that that plan has to involve yourself. 
and something that you're doing for yourself to be able to think about your own thoughts, your feelings, and what's really important to you and to make sure that you are thoughtful through that process right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's given us a lot of time to be able to think through it. I think the other piece that's always a factor, especially on the nutrition side, is that from a medical training perspective, there's very little focus ever on nutrition in medical school, right? About one hour. And also even on the self-care side too, it's not something that's gone through. So I would really ask physicians to remind their patients how important healthy eating is, the immune system, sleep, and all of these things, and also ask the patients how they're doing, like what's their self-care plan, because it's not something that you would normally speak about on a 15-minute or 30-minute consultation, right? Dr. Wickwire? Focus on positive feelings. You need to do things uh, not just to avoid bad feelings, uh, but practice um, uh, eliciting positive feelings within yourself, feelings like gratitude or optimism or uh, confidence or even um, uh, self-reward, which we talked some about earlier. Focus on strengthening positive feelings. And I would just mention that I think this time period gives us an opportunity to learn what we can live without, because I think a lot of us had to live without a lot with many things that we thought in the past were necessary, but it also gives us an opportunity to learn what we don't want to live without as well at the same time. So I want to thank all three of you for being here with me today. I thought this was really great. It was informative. I certainly learned a lot. And uh, we're, we're entering a new era. And coming out of this COVID is going to be a new era, too. Hopefully, we're all better off for it. So thank you for all being here. And um, appreciate it. And hopefully, we'll see you soon at a conference that's not just virtual. <laughs>